0: This podcast is brought to you by SalesFuel Hire, a platform to help companies hire smarter and flag 13 toxic employee types. Measure job fit, sales tendencies and motivators, decision-making abilities and empathy levels, and make your next hire your best hire. Try it now on salesfuel.com slash hire and use promo code MANAGE SMARTER for $50 off your first purchase. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage Smarter, hire, develop and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast.
1: You know, Lee, you've always said there's no I in team, but that letter is in plenty of other titles regarding yeah, employees. You want to right. my, throw my, one out there?
2: Yeah, my, my, my favorite uh, expression is there's no I in team, but there is one in narcissism. Yeah, there's,
1: <laughs> As a matter of fact, there's several. two of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. And so we're welcoming back to our microphones, Dr. Paul White. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for coming back to the show to talk about toxicity. You bet. I'm glad to be with you. Dr. White is a psychologist, author, speaker, and consultant who, for over two decades, has helped countless businesses and organizations make work relationships work, co-author of The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, as well as the book, Rising Above a Toxic Workplace, Taking Care of Yourself in an Unhealthy Environment. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast, everyone. Going to be quite the show. I'm Audrey Strong, Vice President of Communications for Salesforce.
2: And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the president and CEO of SalesShule. And Paul, this is a this is a topic that both you and I have studied, but 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 coming at it from different directions. So, uh, before we get too deep into it, let's go ahead and I, I'm I love the way that you break down uh, you know the three different types of toxicity. Uh, you want to share that with everyone to get us started? Sure.
3: Yeah. W- what we found uh, actually, it's interesting. You know, when you do a book, you do research, at least hopefully. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you know, a book is a time limited kind of project, and so. Uh, for me, at least, I keep doing research afterwards. And after I wrote the book, Rising Above a Toxic Workplace, I found that um, some additional themes that really three sort of core components for a toxic workplace. One is that it has a sick system, meaning uh, poor communication, bad decision-making uh, processes, uh, not holding people accountable for their actions, that kind of thing. So it's sort of structural. Uh, and you'll find a lot of hospitals, universities, government agencies fit this part, especially because they've got so many reporting uh, lines uh, of accountability and and decision making that it's just it's just
2: chaos. And that's not all.
3: Yeah.
1: the
3: way, there's more. Secondly, you have toxic leaders. You know, and mm-hmm. one of the interesting things you found is the, the toxic leader doesn't have to be at the top of the organization. In fact, often they're not. Often, mm-hmm. yeah may have a pretty healthy CEO or president or director, or whatever uh is the name of the position. But then you have, you know, whether they're vice presidents or division managers or whatever that sneak in there that are just not healthy people. And the toxic leader, from my point of view, is is different than a an incompetent leader. Um an incompetent leader is just somebody who doesn't know what they're doing or they're not very good at it. But a toxic leader often is very you know, skilled and talented. it's just that their goal is just about themselves, and they can wrap it in the organizational goal of, you know, reaching certain milestones or whatever, but it ultimately ties back to them. And so a toxic leader really treats other people just like, uh, you know, a monetary resource. People are to be used and used up. Uh, They manipulate and so forth. We can get into that further. And then the third part are dysfunctional colleagues. And, um, you know, we're all dysfunctional to some degree. I mean, nobody's, you know, perfect and so forth. But these people really, um, and I use the term dysfunctional descriptively that they have major dysfunction in in their life. They either, you know, you see patterns of poor financial management, they have broken relationships all over the place, they can't follow through on commitments, um, all different kinds of things. And so... These people just have patterns of behaviors and thinking that create uh, problems for them as far as blaming and making excuses, not telling the truth, withholding information. Sounds like politicians, actually. But uh, <laughs> So, you know, when, and when you have those three components uh, firing pretty hard in your in your organization, it, it's probably a pretty nasty place to work.
2: And narcissism seems to be a a, a thread that runs through all of those, right? Absolutely. Well, and especially among toxic leaders. I mean, that's, if you want to understand what drives a toxic
3: leader, it's that it's all about themselves. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And that's what narcissism really is. I mean, they only think about themselves. They only care about themselves. They can be very socially skilled and make you feel uh, like they care about you, but they really don't. So
2: at the same time, they're manipulating you and you don't even know it. Exactly.
1: So what do you do if you work in an organization, you have a toxic leader that has zero self-awareness and is like a strong narcissist? Mm -hmm. I mean, what are your tips for coping with that? The first, absolute first thing you have to
3: do is take care of yourself because they won't and the organization won't. And if you don't, nobody will. And they will use you up and spit you out and you're on the street, uh, spent and maybe even looking bad because they set you up. So you really do have to take care of yourself, and and it starts by sort of you know physical cues. I mean, one of the main things is if you start to lose sleep regularly. That that creates all kinds of downline problems uh, for us physically and emotionally. And so you're worrying and just you know up you know agitated. You've got to take a look at that. And so so one is taking care of yourself both physically, but also you need to protect yourself in the sense of documentation. Mm. Um, uh, you know, otherwise it gets into, he said, she said, and they, the chances are they are a better communicator than you are and you're going to come out not looking good. And so you've got to document what you've done, uh, especially in meetings. If you can have a third person present, that's helpful, but a lot of times you can't. And so a nice technique is to send a follow-up email and just say, Hey, I'm just confirming what we agreed on in our meeting. And here it is, one, two, three. And if, if it's different than that, please let me know. That way, it's in their court that if, you know, they said, no, you were supposed to do this, and you say, well, this is what we agreed on. I sent this. You didn't clarify it. Then, then you've got some some help. That
2: way. And they will throw you under the bus, too, when you're not looking or when you're not around. <laughs>
3: yeah, well, it's sometimes even when you are
2: looking. <laughs> well, that's true, too. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because – For them, a toxic leader is all about achieving goals that they want, and they're willing to use virtually any method. Um, I mean, they're sort of Machiavellian, right? I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever, and they use people up um, and uh, use the organization uh, and withhold information and, you know, distort it to get what they want. So you just absolutely cannot trust that they're looking out for anybody else but themselves.
1: I told Lee when we were ringing in the Zoom room here that I actually, there was one time in my career that I worked for an agency that it, you use the term soul crushing, mm-hmm. um, Dr. White. Yeah. I experienced that and I was physically ill every morning, oh like my. on the drive in because yeah. it was so bad. And I was unaware that the physical was so tied into the brain.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And I tell you, you know, a lot of us, I mean, you know, we don't know how bad our place is lots of times. And, in fact, we created an online assessment called The ROTS. It's a ratings of toxic symptom scale because you don't know whether this is normally stressful. Is this pretty bad? Is it unhealthy or is it, you know, toxic or deadly? And so we created a little quick assessment that gives you a sense of, you know, how bad it is and what areas really uh, are problematic that you have to look at.
2: No. I like to say that uh, the toxic people, whether it be coworkers or, or especially leaders, uh, instead of making other people better, they make people worse. Is that, does that seem like it squares up with your studies?
3: Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I would say basically they are, if you think about the term toxic, you know, and think about it in a in physical sense, something that's toxic is harmful, it's dangerous, it's poisonous, it's, it's nothing. Um amount, it's it's deadly. And so, yeah, they, they undermine the effectiveness and the functioning of, of an organization. And that obviously impacts individuals as well. Because if you can't trust somebody, you know, that means you got to, you know, do all kinds of extra gyrations to figure out if what they're saying is true or not, mm-hmm. which expends a lot of time and energy. And so, yeah, they, they just, you know, if you think about, I you don't know, any kind of physical situation where there's some something toxic in the soup, you know, it's, it's making you unhealthy.
2: I read that uh, you wrote an article a few years back that I really liked where you were describing uh, ways that you can identify whether or not you're in a toxic workplace. You want to share some, uh, some of your insight on that?
3: Well, I'll see if I can remember. But, uh, you know, I would say the, the first one really is sort of um, like Audrey was sharing is that you just have the sense that things are not right and you don't want to go in. And one of the first, sort of, major ones is uh, physical symptoms. I mean, whether that's a loss of sleep, or a, a intestinal problems, or you know, headaches, or a sciatic nerve, or whatever, because our body does really reflect, um, you know, what's going on inside of us emotionally, and so you need to pay attention to those cues from from your body. And then, secondly, you know, if you're starting to really have difficulty getting along with people in your daily life uh, more so than usual. Um, and, and there's, it's just that you're irritable and edgy and all that. You got to pay attention to that, especially if somebody says, you know, what's up with you? Uh, Mm. you've been sort of on edge lately. Um, and are you doing feel well or, or what's up?
2: Or or they don't want to talk to you at all. They just avoid you.
3: (laughs) Well, you, that's a tough one because most of the times we don't know if it's us or not. And that's (laughs) where it is helpful to have people that will give us straight feedback, um, but, you know, the, the relational part, and then the then sort of the emotional part of you're just not motivated, you're discouraged, um, you start to get passive and avoid responsibilities. I mean, all those kinds of things, um, along with here, – here's a major one. It's that you – maybe you have a meeting or something, and you come out fogged. You know, you go in and you think you know what's going to happen and all that, and it's sort of like you, you think, this person that did not – all through on their responsibilities you think they're going to get hammered and you come out and they're they're sort of like smelling like a rose and and you and somebody else got nailed for it it's they're really masters uh dysfunctional colleagues uh, are sort of creating this uh let's see you and them fight you know and creating sort of distraction sort of smoke screens that you're not thinking straight because what you thought was happening isn't what happened and and the results didn't come
2: down. And then you're having the meeting after the meeting to try to figure it out.
3: <laughs> exactly. For some, it's like, yeah. I mean, I don't drink, but I mean, if I did, that'd be the time. You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got to, you know, figure out what's going on here. So,
1: yeah. You also yeah. say that a sign of it is that policies and procedures are non-existent or poorly implemented. So, obviously, one area that a manager could work on to decrease the toxicity of their culture is to, I think this is low-hanging fruit, you know, start making sure the handbook and all the rules are crisp and being followed. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely.
3: And I, I would say even a step before that, I was just reviewing my notes for uh, a webinar I'm going to be giving, and the first step that you can take is just try to focus on direct, honest, maybe, yeah. sometimes you have to limit the openness depending on how you know, dysfunctional places, but communication that directly with people Mm -hmm. versus indirectly. When you have this going around the person or, you know, go tell Jody, you know, this for me, and then they, you know, they shoot the messenger, all that kind of stuff is just unnecessary crap, to be honest. And you, you, it can be scary sometimes when you start to communicate directly because people aren't going to like it and they're going to, react some possibly, or at least get confused. And you say, look, I'm not, you know, I'm willing to do this. I'm not willing to do that. That's not part of my job responsibilities. That's, you know, Sam's and, you know, make them do it. I'm tired of carrying their load. So sometimes you just got to be direct to the point. And then the, the part that goes along with that is both making things clear about what's expected and then holding people to it. I find that one probably uh, the best things people can implement is how to have a, a successful meeting, uh, especially at the end. And that is to clarify what decisions you made. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't make them, what do you need in order to make the decision and who's going to get that information? So, but let's say you made a decision, who's responsible for seeing it enacted Not that they have to do it, but they're responsible to make sure it gets done. And by when it's supposed to get done, set a date. And then, how you're going to monitor that? are they going to let you know or are you going to follow up the next meeting? If people follow that those four steps uh, you know uh, determine what you've decided who's in uh, responsible for it, set the deadline and how you 're going to follow up to make sure it's done. life would go so much better in so many organizations. I used to be in so many meetings that we you know we'd talk for an hour and walk out and we had no clue what we <laughs> decided, if anything, you know, or who's going
2: to do it. You mentioned uh, some of these toxic people about some of, you know, how you go into a meeting and they did something wrong and you didn't, but yet they end up, you know, smelling like a rose and then you get blamed for it. So what are some of the techniques that these folks use in their communication to try to, you know, their survival skills for them, but somehow that they, uh, they escape the blame. So immediately I'm thinking of things like redirection, blame shifting, stuff like that.
3: Right. Well, and, and the other part, I mean, it really, follows back to a lack of clarity of who was responsible for what. Often, you know, most tasks are carried by more than one person. Uh, You know, especially in an organization, you're doing multiple things. And so it's like, you know, Joe's doing this and Cindy's doing that. And, they, you know, they dovetail together, but we don't clarify who's responsible for what part. And then, then they're just great at, you know, slipping and sliding around and blaming and making excuses. And usually it's back on the person who wasn't clear in their communication. They can make them look really stupid. So one of the protection things you have to do is, it's like, if I'm leaving a meeting and I'm not clear, I'm just going to say, hey, as far as I know, I don't have any responsibilities that I've been given here. If it's different, you better let me know because I don't see it, you know. Mm -hmm. And you just sort of, you know, just cut it straight. Uh, they, They just obfuscate, you know, with lots of words, lots of times. Um, and or and different people have different strategies. Some use emotions to cloud, you know, and that you get focused on the emotionality versus you know the, the real issue.
2: And that seems to happen a lot in a toxic workplace, doesn't it? Where you're dealing a little bit more in the emotional channel than you are in the tox- in the logical channel?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean and that's sort of the, the positive side of the work of appreciation that we do. When people feel appreciated and valued, they're less edgy and irritable, and there's less of that sort of just tension uh, in the air, and so it decreases the emotionality um, and the reactivity of people. and And if you can have people that are sort of like you know calm and okay with stuff, you can you can get past problems. It's not that it's interesting. Most functional organizations don't necessarily have less external problems than. Uh, non-functional ones or dysfunctional ones. It's just that they don't get sidetracked into stupid little things that don't help you solve the problem. And so they have sort of a mechanism for dealing with problems in a healthy way. It's sort of like a body. It's like different bodies get hit with different kind of viruses and some bodies have the mechanism and strength to fight it off and others
1: don't. That makes sense. Okay, so let's say I can't survive working for my toxic leader, yep. and I can't implement the rules cohesively across everybody. So I'm going to leave, um, and try and find something else. In my interview going into my next job, what questions should I be asking you to try to identify if I'm just entering into another dysfunctional organization?
3: Well, first you should do some pre work, and, and a friend of mine gave me one of the best pieces of advice uh, in my life, really, and he said, avoid. Um, Being in a situation where you're desperate because when you're desperate, we tend to not make good decisions. So, if you're going to transition, don't wait until you don't have any other options. Think it out ahead of time, Mm -hmm. do some research, you know, build your resume. If you got to get a little more training, go do that, but don't wait until the last minute. So, that's the first step. Secondly, is do some research outside of the organization, if at all possible, with their current vendors, their current customers suppliers, whomever, so that you can get a sense, of, you know, what's your sense of when you interact with this organization? Because you know, different parts have different, you know, uh cultures or whatever, but you know, you'll get a sense of it. And and then when you do the interview, do not settle for just an interview with the HR manager because you're not working for the HR manager. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be working for someone else. And so you need to be able to interview maybe shadow. Uh, asked to talk to somebody who's there, even if they're, you know, a person that's happy, that's fine. You can still find out information. I find that w- when we're interviewing, we tend to think that uh, it's improper for us to gather information about them. Absolutely not. It's our life that we're going to be for the next several years. And if they're not willing to share, just say, you know, uh, have a nice day, you know,
2: or, <laughs> <laughs> Cause,
3: it tells
1: me everything I need yeah, to know. And if you're yes. applying for a sales
2: position, then the best person to talk to is another salesperson. One, because salespeople like to talk. But two, it's also, you know, they, they live, uh, you know, the, the environment that what you might be entering into.
3: Yeah, and they're going to tell you the amount of support and whether, you know, they fall through on commitments and so forth. So, absolutely.
1: Well, um, Paul, this has been very interesting. Appreciationatwork.com is your website, at Dr. Paul White on Twitter. And if you want a healthier and happy workplace, I encourage you to reach out to Dr. White. He's a wealth of information. Paul, thanks for being here today.
2: You bet. I'm glad. always glad to chat with you all. And Paul, it's like we hope, that you, we hope that you've enjoyed the conversation and you'll share this podcast with a friend, a family member, a colleague, and rate us and subscribe on all the major podcast outlets. And for all of you, thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.